We have titled our message today, The Sufferings of This Present Time. The scripture we shared a few moments ago is a marvelous reminder to all of us human beings. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed to us or in us. Sometimes we hear in the ministry statements like this. We thought God would care for us. We've gone to church and Sunday school all of our lives, paid our tithes, had family devotions and everything. And now God let my husband get killed. Or now God has let my wife get cancer. And they always end by this little statement, tell me why. Or it is a conversation something like this. See that house? That man is so wicked and vile, we sometimes call the children in to keep them from hearing his outrages. He never goes to church. He makes fun of churches and preachers and us. He works in the same place my husband works, and my husband got laid off and that man kept his job. Now tell me why. Why is it we suffer and he gloats? Do those particular stories remind you of any situation you have encountered? It is quite common. This problem is as old as the book of Job is old. All 42 chapters of Job deal with the problem of why a good man suffers. Hebrews 11 contains a list of those who had trials of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. There's a whole list of them there. They did not escape the sufferings of this present time. You will never know how many times I have been encouraged and lifted by the fact that even Jesus did not escape. From a cross, he said, why? One time, Jesus Christ cried, why? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When the going gets a little tough and the answers do not seem to be as clear as they might be, it is good to remember Jesus. Even the Son of God asked why. It is all right, then, for us to ask that today. Why me? And I hope I can help you as we share this outline with you. First of all, we must remember that suffering is not an illusion. There are people around us today who say, you don't have a headache while your head is just splitting. 
I have said it before, but I don't know any better way to illustrate it. The Christian scientist who died and went to hell and said, I'm not here and it's not hot. The headache may be caused by an imaginary fear or some pressure in life, but the pain is nonetheless real. You know what I'm saying? It's there. You feel it. You hurt. Psychosomatic pain is as real as any other kind of pain. It's still P-A-I-N, pain. It's unfair to say, oh, she's really not sick. A hypochondriac who died and in the cemetery put on the headstone this particular epitaph. I told you I was sick. <laughs> Suffering is not an illusion. Can I help you a little further? Can you imagine Jesus on Mount Calvary? spread eagle on a cross, and Jesus saying, those aren't nails. Those aren't Roman soldiers. They don't hate me. I don't feel any pain. I can't imagine that. He hurt. That's why he cried. Why? He hurt inwardly, he hurt outwardly. It was not an illusion. The sufferings of this present time, they're real. And don't let anybody try to tell you otherwise. Secondly, suffering is not necessarily caused by the sins of the sufferer. Job was convinced of this through all kinds of suffering and circumstance. He said in the 19th chapter and the 25th verse of Job, I know that my Redeemer liveth. He was covered with boils. His family was gone. His friends told him to curse God and die. Wonderful friends. The sun was not shining for Job, and yet Job testified, I know that my Redeemer liveth. What is the point? Suffering is not necessarily caused by the sins of the sufferer. The devil lays that trip on us. It's one of his tricks. Some of you are here today having had that trick laid on you by the devil himself, that something's wrong with you, that's why you're suffering. I want to tell you that if you have asked Jesus Christ into your life and have confessed your sins before him, he doesn't even see those sins. The blood of Jesus covers them. They are not even visible to God. They cannot even be seen. Jesus illustrated this in the 13th chapter of Luke. It's not as well known a story as some, but nonetheless it's there. Some told Jesus of some Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Knowing the minds of men, Jesus said, 
Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered these things? You see, he was reading their minds. They were thinking, ha ha, these Galileans are more sinful than all the rest. That's why the problem. Jesus then said, I tell you nay. It has nothing to do with how sinful they are or how not sinful they are. Continuing with this teaching in Luke, he said, Or those eighteen upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? You see, a tower fell on it. Oh, I know why. They were sinners. They had hidden things in their lives. God is judging them. Jesus said, I tell you nay. It had nothing to do with that. We have people running around telling us that our sufferings are because of some sin in our life. It is not necessarily that way. Concerning the man born blind in John 9, verse 3, Jesus said, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, that he should be born blind, but that the glory of God may be manifest in him. Sin causes suffering. I'm not saying that is not the case. Sin causes suffering, but not all suffering is caused by the sins of the sufferer. The element of life we live in proves that because I rub shoulders with some very godly people, some very righteous souls, that are, in my opinion, as pure before God as it's possible to be, and yet they suffer from time to time. It is not because of the sins of the sufferer, necessarily. Well, then we have to go to the third. It is a mistake to blame suffering on God. Trouble comes to those who reject God, but also into the lives of those who walk with him. Now, we have used some slogans that are right out of the book, but we don't really think about them when we get into some difficulty. Here's one. The rain falls on the just and on the unjust. Isn't that convenient to say? When you see somebody going through a problem, the rain falls on the just and on the unjust. It's not quite as easy when you're the sufferer. Another one we like to use in life comes out of the Word of God also. James, in chapter 1, verse 13, said something very interesting. He suggests that tribulations do not come from God. He said, God cannot be tempted, neither tempteth he any man. So we say, God is no respecter of persons. It's easy to say that, isn't it? James reminds us that the business of God is not to make people suffer. We suffer because sin has come into the world, and the answer to why do people suffer 
particularly righteous people, only God can answer. But there are some reasons. I'm not going to give you answers. I'm going to give you reasons why good people are not immune to suffering. Are you ready? Number one is good people suffer whenever they break the laws of God. Let's say dear righteous Paul Williamson down here. He, he can move heaven when he prays. But here is Brother Paul Williamson. He gets up on the dome of this building and he says, I am going to defy the law of gravity. Now you tell me, when he jumps, who's going to be defied? <laughs> Who will be broken, Paul or the law? You know he will be, not the law. The law remains intact. Well, whenever... Good people break the laws of God, good people will suffer. If a good man breaks the law of gravity, he suffers, regardless of his state of grace. Now, a person will suffer if he breaks God's laws about love and forgiveness. If we just choose not to love and hate, we're going to be broken. The 11th commandment is love one another, as I have loved you. Homes have been broken. People's faces have become lined ahead of their years, and psychosomatic ailments of many kinds have resulted when God's laws on such matters as love and faith and joy and optimism and Christian influence have been ignored. You can't help but reap the results of ignoring those laws, no matter how good you seem to be. Good people are subject to the laws of physics, and the laws of God, both. Those laws don't change just because of us. Secondly, good people suffer because of the interdependence of the human race. Now, how many of you have today had at least a cup of coffee? Let me see your hand. How many? Come on now. I'm not going to do anything bad. Okay, now. I wasn't taking a pledge or anything. Have you ever thought of how that coffee got in that cup? There are so many people that make that possible, you couldn't believe. And how many miles between that cup of coffee and the original bean? Way up in the mountain somewhere. Oh, you've seen the commercials. Somebody has to pick that bean and it has to come all the way down that mountain. And it has to be processed. It has to be crushed. It has to get into some kind of a container. It has to travel miles upon miles through many different hands. And then finally in a restaurant or at your kitchen table, some loving human being pours it into your cup and you savor the results. But that cup of coffee could never happen without you being dependent on hundreds of hands to bring it about. Think about that the next time you drink coffee. It may make you enjoy it even more. So it is. In every area of life, we are interdependent upon each other. For example, the high-powered automobile and the superhighway, they're wonderful. I thank God for them. 
They hasten us to our destination. But great joy in rapid transit can also bring suffering and death because we are interdependent. I have friends in heaven today who died way before their time because of some drunk. The person didn't do anything wrong, traveling the right speed on the right side of the highway, doing everything right, but they died because we're interdependent upon one another. The armed forces assure our continued freedoms, but in doing so, some of our sons are killed in order to make it possible for us to live. Jet aviation brings blessing, but in it, we must also accept the liability of possible suffering and death because of interdependence on others. I profited by jet travel again this week, and I thank God for it. It can get you where you want to go so rapidly. But I'm glad I wasn't at Cincinnati Airport. I was close, but not quite there this week. And an Air Canada plane burned. 25 people are dead. Was there a cigarette left in the restroom? When you sit in your seat, they say over the intercom, no smoking in the lavatory. Signs are up inside the lavatory, no smoking. Was a cigarette left in the lavatory that caused 25 families to be in mourning and suffering today? Possibly. A pilot to be burned. People to be in pain today because of mistakes, bad judgment. Why? Interdependence. The Bible says, as by one man's sin entered into the world, so by one man's miscalculations can death and destruction come to many. Now, that's my paraphrase. But it's true. Your mistakes can hurt me. My mistakes can hurt you. Do we clench our fist in God's face and say, why? That's foolish. We have to recognize good people suffer because of the interdependence of the human race. We are to be responsible to one another. We are never sure when someone will miss the laws of nature and miss the laws of God and bring heartache to many. That's just a part of the game. Thirdly, good people suffer because God created an orderly world of cause and effect. Kalinga, does that name ring any bell? The Assemblies of God Church in Kalinga is not functioning this morning. Now, brothels in Kalinga aren't either, because earthquakes affect the just and the unjust. Earthquakes will close the local assembly of God church, as well as the brothel, the house of prostitution. Good people suffer because God creates an orderly world of cause and effect. Winds of tornado force destroy both the good and the bad. 
Cancer-causing viruses may do their deadly work in the body of the saint as in that of the gangster. There are causes and effects in the world that put the just and the unjust in the very same boat. We're in the same conveyance. And God does not change those laws. So we have to accept that. There's another reason. Suffering is a part of life, simply put. Each person in his own time and way is subjected to his share of grief. Now the important question is not why it has come to us, but how will we choose to react to the sufferings in our share of them? That's what's important. That's what proves the metal of a man, how he reacts to the sufferings, not why he is subjected to them. One of our graduates in our Christian school is receiving a scholarship to Azusa Pacific College in Azusa, California. It's a Christian school. And in a recent graduation exercise there, at the end of the line were those being honored, the most brilliant students receiving their degrees. In that small select group of outstanding students, there were three persons who stood out. One of them was a black man, one of them was an Indian, and the other was a girl with a white cane, obviously blind. All three of them were magna cum laude. All three of them were listed in who's who in American colleges and universities. Now, there are some people with the same problems these three would have had, being black, being Indian, being from minority races, and being blind, having a physical handicap that would just want to blame God and blame society and march with banners and placards and try to get the help of everybody else. But these three did not do that. They put themselves into the fray. They accepted whatever price there was to pay for being black, red, or blind, and said, we will climb the mountain. We will rise to the top. And do you know the ingredient that I discovered in reading their stories? The same ingredient was they knew Jesus Christ. Every one of them were born again. So in coming to Jesus Christ, you do not or should not have the tendency to say, God, why have you made me this way? Why have you brought this malady in my life? But God, you and I are really going to have to do this together. I am depending on you, and we're going to climb this mountain. We're going to leap over this hurdle. We are going to end up on top, and you're going to get the glory. We will be magna cum laude together. Hallelujah. How you handle your situation is really the big question. Now, let me tell you a story. Three years ago, we had a program in our church 
launching our building drive, and we ask all of you to make commitments to this program. I made a commitment with my wife. We have renewed commitments along the way. And I have watched the progress since that time with great interest and with suffering. Because I have not seen in many instances the level of commitment that I believe should be a part of a full gospel, evangelical, Bible-believing people. I truly believe that many times we have our eyes far too much on things and not on the kingdom of God, and a pastor suffers in a way that I cannot describe publicly when that observation is made. There was a time during these past months when I really had to get before God and deal with my attitude. And please understand my motives when I tell you what I'm about to tell you. Every month since that time of commitment, my wife and I have given at least $600 to the building program above and beyond our missions commitment and our tithe to the church. And in every special project, a sizable contribution as God has enabled us. And I have watched for that kind of commitment out of others and have not seen it. That's why I had to get before God to deal with my suffering. And it was in that time of suffering that this message was born. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. I have not bought a new suit of clothes in all of that period of time because I want to give my extra dollars to this program because I believe in it. I believe it's of God. I have withheld personal pleasures and things that perhaps should have been invested in because I wanted to do everything possible to see that vision become real. And I stand here today healed, well, rejoicing through the suffering, believing in the scripture verse I'm sharing with you today. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. And this week God proved it in a marvelous way. My wife and I have thought that we would like to get a home out on the Highway 50 corridor, which would be close to the new church, because we're out on the 80 corridor and it's through red lights all the way over. Too far, too long to drive. I hate to spend precious minutes in the car. And we prayed about selling our home and relocating. And a week ago Friday, I felt it was time to do something. And we put a little ad in the paper and on Friday morning in our staff prayer meeting at 6.30, I said to the brethren, would you pray that God would enable us to sell our home? 
We went to breakfast after the prayer meeting, came back to the office. There was a note to call my wife. She said, honey, it's 7.30 this morning. This is the first morning this little ad is in the paper about our house. A lady called. She said, I'm interested in your home. She wanted to know where it was. She liked what she saw in the paper. It seemed to be what they needed. And in conversation, my wife found out that they live right across the street from this church, right over behind the bus bench on Howe Avenue. They've lived there 40 years. They saw the building of this building. In answering that ad, they didn't know who this party was. They didn't know where the house was, but she said, we believe your house may be what we're looking for. Can we come and see it? Found out it was us, the pastor of the church across the street. Just coincidental. We had an appointment Friday afternoon to look at a home. We signed for that home and put a down payment on that home because we'd been praying about it for some time and examining it, and it seemed right. And in doing so, we got a $10,000 reduction in that home. I said $10,000. Everybody around me paid $10,000 more than I did in a new development. Don't tell them. <laughs> I didn't ask for it. Coincidental. These folk came and looked at our home, loved it, said, give us a couple days, please, but don't sell it until we get back to you. Others came. Monday morning was a holiday, right? Eight o'clock in the morning. This lady phone says, we want your house. We will give you cash and gave the amount. And it was the exact amount I had in my heart that I would take for this house. We signed the papers on Tuesday. We have a cash deal on our house in this time. We have a 10,000 reduction on a new house exactly where we wanted it to be in conjunction with our new building. Why? Because for three years we have been pouring every dollar we can into this ministry. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. And I suffered I hurt, but I'm on top. I'm rejoicing, and it means some more dollars for the building program. No commission, no realtor's fees. As much as I know you realtors have to live, God bless you, I have a better realtor. Allied troops uncovered in the basement of a home in Germany right after the Second World War, a star of David scrawled in the basement wall. Some nameless persecuted Jew trying to protect himself from a gas chamber, hiding out in the blackness of this basement, carved the star of David and with it these three lines, I believe in the sun even when it is not shining. I believe in love even when I do not have it. 
I believe in God even when He is silent. That's the subject of the Bible before us today. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. What are we to do? Raise our fist in the face of God and say, God, you haven't been fair to me. No. We are to say, God, I will give everything I am and everything I have to you, and I will trust you to lead me through the darkest night. And even when I don't feel you, even when you're silent, I know you will be there. Even through our suffering, which is not always physical, we will be able to say, God was there. In World War II in England, the enemy often dropped by parachute landmines on long steel rods. They would be embedded in the ground and, of course, cause great havoc and difficulty. One day, a lieutenant looked up into the girder of a warehouse and saw one of these hanging in a girder. And he knew how dangerous it was, so he climbed up to that landmine on this long steel rod, knowing he had to dismantle it somehow, and painfully he did. When he came down, having had success, someone said to him, How could you ever face that kind of a situation with such calm? And he said, because of a verse my mother taught me in Scotland when I was a boy. He said, it comes out of the 23rd Psalm and goes like this. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. I want to leave with you this day, my friends, that last statement from God's heart to your heart. When you walk through the valley of suffering, whether it be physical, emotional, mental, whatever the suffering may be, God wants you to hear His voice. I am with you. I am there. When you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I am with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. And this word from the apostle who walked with him, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Hang on. Trust him. He says, I am with you. I will not fail you. It is not even in my character to fail you. It is not in my personality to leave you. It is not in my economy to leave you alone. He will bring you through always if you put your faith and your confidence in Him. Hallelujah. Let us pray. Hallelujah. God, our Heavenly Father, there are hurting folk here today. 
I'm thinking of a missionary right now somewhere in this world who will listen to this message by tape who's hurting bad. And may they know in this moment that you're right there and your comfort is coming like a flood right now. And up and down these rows of dear friends here today at Capital Christian Center, your arms are reaching out to love them and to comfort them and to strengthen them. Hallelujah. May they be able to lift up their eyes under the hills from whence cometh their help, for their help cometh from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Lord, though this is not Thanksgiving Sunday, I pray you'll take the gripe out of us. Put a Thanksgiving song in our mouths. May we not be questioning you and shaking our finger in your face. May we today relax and say, Lord, whatever you take me through, I know my Redeemer liveth. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Up there in the balcony, heal the wound. On this main floor, heal the wound. Our Father knows just how we feel. And our Father cares. Thank you for that message and song today. So fitting. Our Father knows. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Let us stand reverently together. I want to ask you if you need the touch of Jesus. You're not in fellowship with Jesus. I want you to come to this altar. It's time to give your life to him. If you've been angry, if you've been in turmoil, you're not at peace, I want you to slip out from where you are down the stairways in the balcony or these main aisles to this altar. You need the touch of a faithful friend and the touch of God our Father. I want you to come and receive his touch today. As we sing, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice as we sang it earlier, I want you to come. You know who you are. You need to give your life to Christ. Be in fellowship with him. The whole story has not yet been written. God always writes the last chapter, folks. The glory will be revealed. Get in step with him. Put your life in line with him. You come as we sing. From wherever you are, someone will be here to greet you and to share with you and what a moment of victory it will be.